time for Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks and your designated driver. Now, it could be you're completely new to the show or it's just as likely you've been aboard before. Well, whichever, you'll be safe in the knowledge. This is the free speaking, big thinking, eclectic and eccentric show for everyone. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to the timeless adventures of our hero Doctor Who and with a new season of Doctor Who itself well underway on BBC One and broadcasters and platforms all over the world we're making our way through the six part run known as Doctor Who Flux. Be sure to throw in a few laughs along the way as always. So come and step into our TARDIS and share it all together here with us Flux by Flux (laughs) on Type 40 Yes back again and it's fair to say that uh, historically Doctor Who has challenged us, its audience, with concepts characters, enigmas and the odd epic in the past, whether it was 10 whole weeks straight of the War Games or 14 of Trial of a Time Lord the very question itself of Professor River Song or there was entropy fields and malignant inner beings or transcendental interdimensional transportation itself even but uh, there are few episodes in its entire history certainly in my living memory that have received quite the universal double take and a degree of chin stroking as the third part of flux fortunately for me to uh, review this latest challenge to the uh, sanity and patience from the world's worst show and a chris chibnall I've two willing, cleverer, and more learned minds than my own here to guide me through, including my returning co-host, Mr. Simon Hall. Well, hello, Dan. It's, I was going to say it's lovely to be back. It is lovely to be back. I would like to be talking about something other than episode three of Flux, but, you know, rough and smooth. It's nice to be here anyway. <laughs> I can't believe they've dragged you back in. It's kind of like the Mafia, isn't it, Doctor Who? You said you were out, but you are in. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's really difficult. I mean, I stopped watching, as, as, as a lot of people know, I stopped watching uh, Doctor Who halfway through Jodie Whittaker's first series because I just really couldn't take it anymore. Um, I, I stuck with the whole of series 12 purely for review purposes to come and do this show. So I actually have no excuse at all as to why I'm watching series 13 other than, I don't know, it's it, it's almost, is it, a, is it car crash? Is it akin to just kind of watching, a, not being able to, to not watch a car crash? I think that's possible. Car crash TV or time ram TV, something's going on, something very, very slow, quite unpleasant, that we somehow can't bring ourselves to tear ourselves yeah. away from 100%. Yeah. It, it's quite excruciating, isn't it? Yeah. But I think that we do have help at hand here because we've we've used the time scoop to whisk away. It's a, a mind that is more attuned to, to focus on the slightly obscure and the absurd all the way from another planet altogether it's Svilebeck in the rabbi from another planet hello how are you lovely to be here i I have to tell you while i do think everything in the chibnall whitaker era is is deeply awful right i do deeply awful this i I have found it's exciting uh, i have found flux uh, uh, uh marginally less offensive 
than the entirety of the rest of the Chibnall Whitaker era. They seem to be focusing less on the Doctor, which is always good, apart from this episode. So, like, like when you said this episode was universally bad, I don't think it gets anywhere near the depths of uh, the terrible episodes we saw the, in seasons uh, 11 and 12. I mean, all from 55... There is nothing good about that whatsoever. No, you're quite right. I mean, Orphan 55 isn't just bad uh, Doctor Who, it's bad television for It's bad bad in every way, shape. Look, this one I get, I mean, it's suffered because it didn't have the doggy in it. I do quite like the doggy. Uh, uh, You know, because it's just, (laughs) I like dogs. I don't know what to tell you. I think the, uh, the production design is, generally speaking, very strong. This season, I think it's gone up. I think it's gone up generally since Series Eleven production design. It isn't something that that uh, turns my stomach in the way that the rest of I it mean, does. I mean, it does feel like a uh, like a modern revamp of the Tomorrow People. Right? I mean, just in this look, if I was going to like give money to the Tomorrow People and redo it, it would look and feel like this. It doesn't feel like Doctor Who. But yeah, that that yeah, that's Jodie Whittaker. But yeah, I think the reason we're still here. The reason that we're still, yeah. most people are still hanging on, is Russell T. Davis because we can see there's another bus coming, and uh, uh, you know this one might be a bit better. We, we're staying yeah. here because we love Doctor Who and we hope it's going to be better. By the way, if I am time scooped, I want to, I want the original uh, BBC computer black triangle with the top missing. None of that Mister Whippy thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> Well, while well, we've got you here, because we've been running these shows for a couple of weeks now, bring us up to speed a little bit. Where did you stand on Chapter 1, the Halloween Apocalypse, and Chapter 2, War of the Santaras? Chibnall has gone to the Alec Kurtzman School of Writing, the J.J. Abram Alec Kurtzman School of Writing in this season, mm. uh, and trying to uh, trying to do a, uh, a Moffat pastiche. Pastiche. I think honestly, yeah. the, uh, uh, um, the six episodes leans a lot stronger. The six episode one strong uh, one story leans very very strongly into his uh, writing style. There's been marked improvements. Okay, what's missing from this season, which I couldn't stand, is the insane, ideological, boring lecturing. Now that we we do get a lot in that in the content, but the the lecturing really has been cut down a lot. Jody's been cut down a lot, apart from this third episode. Yeah. What he's doing right now is doing a lot of stuff that people who aren't fans, the normies, will look at and go, yeah, that looks like Doctor Who to me. Uh, yeah, but I don't like the, the woman one. I'll, I'll guess I'll wait till uh, Rusty Davis comes back or, or whatever, who, right? You know? If a family member, for example, Simon has left the television on while people are milling to and fro from the kitchen to the whatever wherever else in the home where the television happens to be on they may recognize oh i used to like that show yeah i guess right. so i mean i do think the feeling is yeah if anybody's kind of passing through they'll be kind of slightly mystified uh, you know by the by the first two episodes let alone episode three um in that as you say it kind of looks almost but not quite like doctor who as they used to remember it it doesn't it doesn't quite resonate it's sort of vaguely like something that they vaguely remember that they used to like maybe and and none of this really reinforces people's love of doctor who it doesn't remind them why they loved doctor who in the first place i don't think apart from Episode two. I'm right, aren't I? I'm not losing the plot here. Episode two was War of the Sontarans, wasn't it? I'm That's not right, already right. going. Yeah, going off on a complete tangent. So, so that one, as as we've said previously, I do. I still feel that was the most Doctor Who-like episode 
in a long, long, long time. And as we've been clear to say, that doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's it's the best. No, but there were there were things in it that were you know. Uh, it felt it, it, it just it, it felt like the show was beginning to get vaguely back on track. Things that still that, that bugged me about that episode that we didn't really when we did the, the review of episode two we did, we didn't get a chance to talk about. But one thing that really still irritates me is the is the design of the new Sontarans means that the mouth in the close-ups they do of the mouths the mouths are clearly visible of the actors and they never used to do this on certainly in the first uh, I knew there was something that wasn't quite right about those because I did notice and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was and that's what it is and it's just really strange because fair enough I realise that this is a difficult thing to do to get the actors lips to actually move with the with with the monster's lips I get that but as a result you don't do massive close-ups that reveal that it's very very it's a simple rule of direction you pull your camera back a little bit so you can't see that so i just think it's things like that that still just rankle you know the 21st century with all the money it's got can we still not get that right or you know simon well i i I think that was done on purpose right i think they did that on purpose yeah i think they were trying to recreate the the original kevin lindsay is it Kevin Lindsay? Was it the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where you could kind of see his mouth, but he go and move it. And I think they were just trying to re. Okay, I'll give you an example. Somebody wanted a coffin like a Star Trek shuttlecraft, right? And it's like, how do you get a coffin like a Star Trek shuttlecraft? Apparently, in the Philippines, I think there's some country where they make these novelty coffins. You can give them a, a picture of like that. Make it. So somebody oh, really? sent them a a Christmas tree ornament of a Star Trek shuttle to make as a coffin and they made a perfect replica but they also made the hook on it as well right this giant <laughs> hook on it <laughs> so, so i think Brilliant. that's what they were doing i think Maybe. they were trying to they, they were like oh look sometimes you can kind of see their double mouth or something. some stupid idea that didn't get oh. didn't get flushed away it's, it, it's really sick. and the other thing that is still <laughs> bugging me about the, really really bugging me about that war of the Sontarans is the use mm. of the walk as um, a dangerous weapon, because <laughs> I, I'm sure, I'm sure this must be against BBC guidelines, because BBC guidelines very clearly state, and Doctor Who's got into trouble about this in the past, you can't use household objects for violence, because it because it might encourage children to take up the idea. So I, I'm sure that back in I the day, that really right. would have been highly questioned. Philip Hinchcliffe or or his ilk, would have got into real trouble over using a wok as a violent weapon and showing it being used very clearly, showing several times how you hit somebody over the back of the head with a wok. And I'm surprised that nobody, none of the critics or anything have pulled the BBC up on this because it just seems really, really questionable to me. And make it comedy as well. We make it, we're back to sort of the tango ads of the, of the, of the 90s where you've been tangoed. You know, yeah. let's make a comedy out of hitting somebody over the back of the head with a wok. It, I think it really hit on something to there. me with the, with, with the first episode. And it's like the second, not the third one, but the, the, the first couple, that it, this seemed to be kind of like a continuation of the feeling that you got from season 24. I mean, I'm sure you got the season 24 Blu-ray, right? And mm-hmm. so I haven't revisited that for a while, and I I, I liked it a lot more than than I because I could see where they were going, and what they they were, try, were trying to do with it. And it seemed to be a kind of like trying to continue the feel of that. If I'm trying to be well, chat, be charitable, yeah, I think I think you could be right. But this is where it, it, when we reviewed 
War of the Sontarans, I really I spoke about this, that I strongly feel there's a real dichotomy, there's a schizophrenia at the heart of this whole flux thing, because you're right, on the one hand, they're trying to be season 24 frothy and light with comedy aliens and comedy walks, but then on the other hand, we're talking about the most cataclysmic event in the entire history of the universe ever, and the two are just not comfortable bedfellows. And but, so, but is it? Is it? We've seen. We've seen. Okay, here's another bit of chibnall useless writing. Right? We have the the flux. We see it eating planets. Right? And then the next time we see it, it's just mangled a bunch of buildings. Like, what? What does it do? Like, how do a bunch of spaceships <laughs> fall into terrible chill? No, chill, you're right. Like, what is? For God's sake, it's it's so stupid. Every time we're about to see some serious impact from it, they cut away to something else. Mm. Every time they give us a decent cliffhanger, there've been two, actually three, really quite strong cliffhangers yeah. so far this yeah. season, and yeah. certainly the first two have just cut away pretty much to something else. But as you can probably gather, everybody, that given these two observations from the gentleman already, we're in for a uh, yeah, a colourful show <laughs> with a slightly left of field look. I can't wait to get into it. But before we do. If you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. There's dozens of great conversations, reviews, previews, geek-outs and deep dives with all our regular panellists. We know there's something for every fan at type40.podbean.com. There'll be more about that a little later on, as well as a connecting call <laughs> to the matrix of all knowledge that we know as the fandom podcast network for a word about all the other coverage of geeky pop culture and classic entertainment that goes on on all the other shows over there okay so i think we're as ready as we'll ever be gentlemen to uh, to go and get fluxed get yourself comfortable and uh, yeah enjoy the ride Yeah, we're looking back at the uh, third episode of Series 13 called Once Upon Time. It's a, another memorable title from Chris Chibnall that's not going to get confused with any other episode at all, I suppose, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Whatever. Yes, oh, the general gist of it was that uh, time is beginning to run wild and on a planet that shouldn't exist in the aftermath of an apocalypse, the Doctor... Dan, Yaz, and Vinda, whoever he is, face a battle to survive. Yes, this is Once Upon Time, originally aired on the 14th of November 2021. It starred Jodie Whittaker, who they keep insisting is playing the Doctor, alongside Yasmin Khan, played by Mandip Gill, Dan Lewis, played by John Bishop, and Jacob Anderson as Vinda. The director is completely new to the series. As her Salim directed this one, the third one, he's back to direct episodes four and five as well. So he's done that sort of second block and it's executive produced by Matt Stevens. So when we last saw the cast, we'd been served this, this cliffhanger, which again, I thought was reasonably good. I mean, yeah. providing that one has any connection with Yaz whatsoever. And yeah, I was screaming for her for time to rip her apart. Yeah, so it didn't really work for me. <laughs> the problem is that she's just as stiff and expressionless as she always is. She's just daubed in these weird glyphs, isn't she, Simon? 
Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, we did talk about this, uh, and I hailed this as, yeah, this is a typical, a classic Doctor Who cliffhanger. If, as you say, you are invested in, in Yaz as a character, it's it's a typical Doctor Who cliffhanger. And as I also predicted, they would bail out and they wouldn't actually come up with any reasonable explanation for the cliffhanger. they just choose okay. to ignore it. And that's exactly what they did. And what makes me really, really angry, and I know... I know that Classic Who has done this in the past, where they basically re-edit the uh, the reprise of the episode to to ensure that what was in the previous episode physically, physically, time-wise, cannot happen, and that's exactly what they did. So fair enough. Yeah, Classic Who has done it. I, I'm not letting the, those cliffhangers off any any more comfortably. No, no. But this one really, really, really rankled with me for the simple fact that at the end of episode two, Swarm has promised that when he clicks his fingers Yaz is dead and we clearly see at the end of episode two we clearly see Swarm click his fingers so Yaz is dead but no no apparently not because somehow somehow in a timey-wimey kind of way the doctor actually managed to do all that she managed to do unseen invisibly before Swarm actually clicked his fingers but it still doesn't work because the Doctor is very clearly seen at the end of episode two in the same shot as Swarm's clicking his fingers. The Doctor is there over his shoulder. So the resolution to episode three is flatly impossible to achieve. And I don't, any, I, don't, I defy anybody, any defender of the Chibnall years to explain to me how it is that episode two clearly ends with the Doctor well. and Swarm in shot, clicking fingers, and somehow it all gets rewritten at the beginning. Oh, I can explain it. He, I can he's totally banking, explain it to you. Rabbi, he's banking on us not having paid attention, isn't he? Or having forgot. And... Yeah, no, no, I can totally explain it to you, okay? This, is what, hap- this is what I think is happening. Somebody is helping Chibnall write the like you can see the bits that that aren't him with the with the cliffhangers. I think Rusty Davis, Stephen Moffat, somebody, a friend of his, came and said said came up with the cliffhangers because the cliffhangers aren't bad and the cold yeah, openings aren't bad. So, but it so it stands out so clear. And then he's got the pieces to pick up and he does know what to do. So he's like so he and they have like the the um, the resolution. Nolly, Nolly does the does, does the mistake that they're, they're, they're talking about. It also has something I think is a cardinal cardinal error for Doctor Who in that you hear the Doctor's monologue, which or, or Jodie Whittaker's Doctor's monologue, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And, which is uh, even when they did the New Adventures, that that uh, was it, uh, Peter Darvel Evans, whatever. Evans. It, 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 yeah, yeah. He uh, one the one the writing guys does. You never ever ever. Uh, well, hearing from the doctor's point of view because it, it demystifies the character and I, and the other thing is God, this doctor loves herself. He, says, e, I always work things out really quickly. Me, oh, I will. And then, and then, okay, this is this is one of the cut. This is the the ground center of why this era is not just bad, but I think genuinely evil, right? Because she's talking about different things about uh, uh, what she does. Because she's so freaking brilliant. And, eh, I have to work out. What? Where's danger? Where's danger coming? Are my friends? And then she says something which is so wrong. Says, "Who has the power? What does that matter?" Yes, I noticed what, that. Yeah. What does it matter if a doll? If you know, if 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 something is intrinsically evil has less power than something, something that is good, right? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's like. Like the brigadier has a Dalek gun and the Dalek doesn't have a Dalek gun. The Dalek's still evil and the brigadier's still good. You know, I. Yeah. Uh, and the, the thing, the thing that stand she, out. 
Now, the thing that the thing that's interesting, you're 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 right with those observations. And the th the problem is, if you are going to have the doctor have monologues, you've got to have a damn good actor to do it. And unfortunately, uh, uh, simply can't deliver those monologues convincingly. And the other problem is, you've got to if you're going to come out with this kind of rubbish about how much power the doctor holds and how she's so brilliant uh, at all this all that she does. Again, you've got to have an actor not only that's strong enough, but also has enough gravitas to convince with that. And unfortunately, because she's such a lightweight actress and the characterization is so lightweight, you don't believe for a microsecond that she actually has the kind of power that she's talking about. Tom Baker, yeah, I believe he's got that power. And he would be able to get away with the monologue. Jodie Whittaker, she has no power. She can't carry the monologues off. And as the episode went on, and she continued with these inner thoughts where she was saying, oh, got to get back there. Oh, got to do it. It was literally excruciating. It was like children's BBC level of acting. Uh, it was just so banal, so unbelievable. She has no gravitas. She can't do it. The more she turns it up, the less believable that she gets she yeah, seems like, like when when she starts shouting she seems like somebody maybe she's on the car park to morrison's and some single dad with a couple of couple of kids as maybe nicked a parking space or something like that that's <laughs> yes, yes yes that's that yes. face yes i've seen that's that perfect. face that's yeah. But that's her angry acting, you see, and 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 she does it an awful lot. And whisper, and you can, again, you know, going back to somebody like Tom Baker. When Tom Baker got angry, the screen trembled. When Jodie Whittaker gets ang angry, you just laugh. It's, it's you know, I, I I've long wanted to do a crowdfunding campaign where we can we can pay Jodie Whittaker to do the Have I Got the Right speech from Genesis of the Darlings. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing would be funnier when than Jody, that. <laughs> Lurches into that sort of screaming and shouting, and and that sort of moral, that sort of moral stance that she's trying to sort of so, uh, to take. Yeah. To me, it just makes me think back to being a child, and if my mother ever did that, you know, it would guarantee that I would eat my tea even slower. It was that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah. in the in general, I mean, the plot itself and what you're saying about the character is absolutely right. And I think we've all spoken about this. I've, I've certainly spoken to you both independently about this, about the way that specifically Jody, but maybe Chibnall himself too, see the character as this cartoon children's character, this magical imp type person. And yeah. the, the stakes and the way you've just described that cliffhanger, it was very, very Danger Mouse somehow. As yes. in the blink of an eye, she does it because it says in the in the plot that the doctor jumps into the temple's time storm and stalls Swarm. This is all in about two seconds of screen time. Stalls Storm by hiding Dan, Yaz, and Vinda, who by this point she's no idea who that is, in their own pasts. <laughs> they, 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 they actually uh, uh, reference that, they, and the lad who I don't know who he is yet. He's yeah. Captain say, Jack. He's Captain Jack Newcastle. That's, that's why who he we is. know. That's why we know that this was originally written for, for Captain yeah, Jack. Exactly. Because those lines have been dropped in afterwards. Because if it was still Jack, then we, she wouldn't have to explain or issue that disclaimer that, well, I don't know who that lad is, it, but I'm going to help <laughs> save him anyway. It would be just be Jack. And we would know the bond between her and Jack is just as strong and as the bond be between states. her and there, there would have been states. Yeah. And, and, and the problem is, again, uh, directorially, it's it's appallingly constructive. That whole sequence where she supposedly, in the totally. blink of, in the blink of a microscopic eye, she manages to achieve all this. It's terribly constructed editorially, poorly edited, because. I hadn't got a clue what was actually happening. She sort of jumps forward. She grabs, I think she grabs 
Dan and he, and you see his feet sort of lifting off the ground, so, but you don't know where he's going. She doesn't do it with all the characters. You, what? Sorry, what is happening? And so you're you're blindsided before you even begin to get to this explanation way down in the episode that she's lived, hidden them in their time streams. So the general public is just sitting there thinking, what? What, what just happened? So I have no idea. The physical editing construction of that sequence is so poorly executed that you're telling a really, that Chibnall in, in, is trying to tell a really complicated uh, concept with this and so you've got to be damn sure of your direction and your editing to ensure that the that the public don't because get lost because it's being broadcast to the most potentially the most populist audience correct in prime time on correct on the major the major tv station in the uk yeah and so you can't you can't have it that ambiguous and as i say this is putting aside the fact that it completely obliterates the actual ending for an episode two when you clearly see the doctor in the same frame as swarm clicking his fingers so yaz is dead so it's impossible for episode three to happen simple as that yeah so we see that yaz is in her police car actually on duty on one of the two days that she actually was on duty in that role so she's, she's in the, the police car the she must be the least uh, good, the, the most appalling police officer that there's ever been. She's hopeless as a police officer. I'm no, she was the best as ever. They, that's <laughs> in canon. Don't you remember? Oh, you didn't see it. I'm not, you maybe did see it. Beginning of season, uh, was it 12? The, 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 the old, white, uh, old white man policeman says, oh, yes, you're the bestest one. And the only reason I say the, the skin colour, because that's the only thing that matters. But she's atrocious as a, as a police officer. She's got to be the least convincing person as a police officer. Although, however bad she is as a police officer, she is so much better as a police officer than as an actor, uh, which de- was demonstrated <laughs> so well this episode when they took on other people's roles. And oh, boy, yeah. does she not have the ability to do we that. Had how many versions of Yaz in this episode? Four I, or five? And many. all of them as awful as the rest. They're when she all, yes, up, they're all When bad. she popped up in Vinder's past as his superior officer in the high-collared tunic with all the buttons on it, trying to sound all, all superior and, like, and commanding officer-like, it was ridiculous. You, it was laughable. Yeah. Mandip Gill has no range. She's been really exposed by, by this third season of Chibnall material because here she has. She isn't fighting for screen time with two other companions. There's much yeah. more time to see her limits. And I've always said that as an actress, she was pretty hungry to do some work and proud to be on the show. But just like Jodie Whittaker, the fact that she didn't have to audition, she is no good in this role. She hasn't got the range. She's not capable of bringing anything to the character of Yaz whatsoever, any personality at all. And, okay, the material doesn't help, but in those moments, it was nothing short of hilarious. And to see Jacob Anderson, bless his heart, who is is a decent actor, and he's doing his level best here with material that's just as thin and a character just as uninteresting, you can see him looking for something from her. You can see it in his eyes in those scenes and getting nothing back, the poor bugger. He's, she, he's, she's just completely out of her depth, isn't she? It's yeah. as simple as that. She's way out of her depth. And unfortunately, so they is Jodie. And, in, and in my, exactly, in my opinion, also John Bishop is as well. So and we're so looking at John a really Bishop. weak... Yeah, but yeah, John Bishop, with... you can forgive because... And at least he looks okay in that picture. Oh, by the way, now, now you pull this picture up, I, I, there's something else I really want, want to, 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 uh, to, uh, to touch on. So Chemnall said we're destroying the history of Doctor Who and we're getting rid of canon and doing all this so we can open this up 
to a broader, more interesting news story, yeah. right? More exciting, on scene, romantic. So, so we, we, we got a glimpse of what that vision art was, and it's garbage tier, boring 2021, uh, forgettable sci-fi. It's Could like it, it was it was absolute like uh, yeah of course you have a stunning and brave and I'm usually only saying the skin color because that's the only thing I care they, these idiots they care about right they have a stunning and brave uh, black woman who is masculine and snarling uh, with a gun blowing things up and stomping around like it, it's like every other awful show to like really I mean and the shows yeah. that will be forgotten in like forever. You do some channel. Legacy. You do some channel hopping between between the TV stations like the Sci-Fi Channel and all those sort of, as you say, lower tier channels on TV, and you will come across dozens of sci-fi shows that look exactly yes. like this this pocket world, this yes. past, this that that Chris Chibnall is offering us. That this was worth destroying the Doctor Who law for for this for a bunch of people dressed in really unconvincing combat gear, holding rifles that don't look like they've got any weight to them, wearing snoods, st stumbling around any sort of generic desert wasteland environment, as you say, Rabbi, kicking indoors and giving it loads of attitude. It is, it is so... that He's taken something that was unlike anything else on British TV and turned it into something that is like everything else in genre TV, and it's unforgivable, unforgivable, unimaginative, and no, because it's got no, he's got no story. There's still no story there. Well, underneath it. it's all about identity. It's, as you say, Rabbi, you're right to mention these things, these immutable physical characteristics, because Chibnall is clearly. It. I mean, listen, I, I know well, you, you do. I can, I can hear it in your voice. I know you do. But yeah, did he, you he grow up no being told that to judge people? Did they even talk about some of the skin color, ethnicity, and like it's irrelevant in any way? Is just wrong. I was just, it's been bred into me my entire life. It's just, I, I, I don't understand where the world is now. It's just so, we got, like, the anti-racists have brought back segregationism and racism. Okay, it's, just, it's, a, it's a weird choice. It's a weird choice. The thing, on, the thing that frustrates me with, with this whole episode, and this is undoubtedly the most angry I've felt after any episode of Doctor Who ever, of every and I yeah and I even watched Orphan Fifty Five, uh, and I watched Arachnids in the UK. I watched those episodes, and this made me the most angry of any Doctor Who episode ever because it's the worst episode in fifty-eight years for just basically being fifty minutes of padding. It it did nothing. It went nowhere. It was treading water for fifty minutes. It was the, the greats, people like Terence Dix, Barry Letts, Philip Hinchcliffe, always used to talk about the problem with episode three of a four-parter or episode five of a six-parter because it was always the episode that they feared they'd be treading water. And this is just all of that condensed down into one 50-minute episode. It did nothing. It went nowhere for 50 minutes. It just, it, it merely presented us with no story at all, just padding. And that's what has made me really, really angry about this. Because all, everything in that 50 minutes should have been in around about 50 seconds and would have been the pre-title stinger before the titles and then we go into after the titles we actually go into an episode proper but instead he used an entire 50 minutes to basically tell the the resolve of the cliffhanger from episode two and it went nowhere and 
the problem I have with this is, for a start-up, he's only got six episodes this year. So we're seriously going to waste an entire episode with utter rubbish that goes nowhere. And what I think Chibnall has misunderstood is if we look at the, the closest comparison I can find to this episode is one of the best episodes, I think, in the entire run of 58 Years of Doctor Who, which is The Deadly Assassin Part 3. Now, that one is 25 minutes of treading water. It does nothing, goes nowhere. Yeah. It needs nothing. To, it's nothing to do with the story. It doesn't matter. But and it's brilliant. It's exactly. one of the best 25 minutes on TV I've ever exactly. seen. Exactly. I would argue it is possibly the best 25-minute episode, well, the best episode of Doctor Who ever in its, in its entirety, in its one single run. Because what it has got that this episode didn't have is it's got some momentum. It's got a story. It's got a beginning, middle and end. It has a reason for well, happening. The stakes, are, the stakes are very clear, aren't they, Simon? And who we're supposed to be rooting for, believing in, is very, very clear. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is, it presents in 25 minutes, The Deadly Assassin Part 3 presents just 25 minutes of completely nonsensical stuff. None of it makes any sense. It doesn't hang together. You've got weird characters popping in. You've got a samurai. You've got a clown in the ground. None of it. But it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. And what Chibnall has done in this one is he's done exactly the same thing. He's got 50 minutes of completely inconsequential stuff, none of which actually links together. In the same way that it doesn't in The Deadly Assassin, but The Deadly Assassin does it with such conviction. It does it so brilliantly. You care about these characters. There is a through route. You can it's see that there is by, sort of... It's powered by Tom Baker in the same way that Heaven Sent is powered by Peter Capaldi. Well, well yeah. you know, the, 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 the one thing with uh, uh, The Deadly Assassin episode three is it was so cutting edge and forward looking, right? It was it invented. It was the Matrix twenty thirty years before it happened, right? It's cyber. Nobody is doing yeah. that in the mid seventies. This is backward looking. This is just like retread after read. I mean, I think I, uh, I'm not sure if I said it. I'm not sure when I said it. If I said it before we started recording or now, but it seemed to be to be somewhat ripping off uh, Big Finish's. I would say failure called uh, uh, was it Zagreus. Yeah, it's the 40th it's, anniversary story from them, wasn't it? Big epic that they put together. Right, yeah. right. And listen, I, I like their ambition, and I like what they but it didn't really work. So he's, he's ripping off something badly. And it's just so backward-looking. That well, comparison to Deadly Assassin well, is brilliant. Well, really I, think, is. I, I think he is. I, I think he was actually thinking of the Deadly Assassin as well, because I think he'd watched that, and he thought, yeah, we can throw loads of disparate stuff together that doesn't make any sense. It's all weird, and it's non-consequential, and nobody's going to have a clue what's going on. But actually, it's going to be a brilliant story. And he completely misunderstood of what made the Deadly Assassin so brilliant. And that was, firstly, you cared about the characters. Secondly, you could see that everything, although these weird events of clowns and and um, surgeons with massive hypodermic needles and samurais, they, they all had a consequence and the Doctor was beginning to suffer. And instead, all he did was just throw all this weird stuff together that was all supposed to be really intriguing and make people look at it and think, wow, what's going on? And it didn't. It just bored the pants off everybody. And I, seriously, well, the, the so he's making the, He makes the same mistake time after time after time. He assumes that we care, uh, uh, well, first, that we even know who yes. they are, that we relate to them and care about people like Yasmin Khan, yeah. Dan Bishop, yeah. and Vinda, who w all of us have, have sp spent like three minutes in the company of. Exactly. How these situations. Yeah, there's just nothing to see. He also seems to be as well fixated on the idea 
that we are largely invested in the concept of the fugitive do uh, doctor as played by joe martin so i'm really interested by the idea that when the doctor is sent back into her own timeline of all that i mean we don't know how long the doctor has lived for how many faces she he has had how many lifetimes uh, they have 13, led. 13 okay <laughs> to let you know now <laughs> in, Chib in Chibnall's world, it's been millennia after millennia and potentially thousands, thousands of faces. Millions. What a coincidence that it ends up being that this body is the one that she ends up getting sent back it through in the in the timeline to. That it's this face that's staring at her, sort well, of Sam Beckett-like. Well, well, like, wasn't it intentional? Didn't this, didn't uh, Swarm, I was going to say Storm, no, Swarm. Wasn't it? Then he said, at the end, again, in the in the really, really oh, generic, know. bad, moustache twirling, and he ah, that was my plan all along to send you back into your history. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now I'm going to go. <laughs> Instead of killing you, which I clearly can, okay? I can kill all of you in a second because I got complete power. I can do that. No, I'm just going to go now for a bit after I, I give you a bit, bit of uh, uh, exposition. Conflict. I think by the time, if the, if he did say that, I think by the time he was spouting off that kind of... And bear in mind, I, I still really like Swarm and the guy who's playing him. I think he's yeah. doing a brilliant job. Yeah. By the time Agreed. that may have happened, if that was said... I was well out of it, and I'm prepared to accept that. You know, has anybody rewatched this episode? No, you are kidding, aren't you? I, I can. I actually, <laughs> I, I began to get angry about six or seven minutes in, maybe about ten minutes in, as the as the penny dropped, and I suddenly realised, oh my life, we've got fifty minutes. This entire episode, it's clear, is going to be given over to this weird dreamscape kind of world that Chibnall thinks he's created, where nothing is going to make sense I, I suddenly realized what i got to for, look forward to for the next 30 40 minutes and that was when i began to get angry i thought you can't do this and i could feel the general public just switching off in droves i, know. Said, I don't know what's going I mean, on what, I don't like, how much do you think it's going to hurt this episode in the viewing i honestly think i honestly think it will hurt them a lot i think episode four will fall off a cliff i'll prophesy it now i think episode four figures will fall off a cliff yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm predicting a minimum 500,000 drop. Uh, at least, at least. Because the public will desert it in droves. They don't care. I didn't care. None of us cared. The public right. certainly don't care. It was just the worst. It, it, it was interesting because the independent review, which was very, very damning, called it exactly what I feel, which was a pointless mess and a waste of an episode. Those are the two things that they clearly said about it. And they were absolutely spot on. This, As you say, Dan, this was prime time. BBC One television on a Sunday night, and we're literally telling fan fiction. This was purely fan fiction. It was the kind of thing that somebody would have written in a fanzine in the 1980s. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and it it felt like it they would like they would be do be doing something daring if they did this in the eight let's say in the nineties. Eight like it feels like audio visuals, you know, the pre precursor yeah. to big finish. It yes. felt like that before they grew up. <laughs> they, they, they were, but, again, <laughs> but again, I mean interestingly, it also feels a lot like episodes thirteen and fourteen of the Trial of a Time Lord. Now, question that did not work anywhere near as well as episode three of uh, of uh, the yeah, Deadly. They were trying to do the same kind of thing. So again, there was a lot of weird stuff. None of it made any sense. It didn't kind of link together. But again, it still had a through route. And as I say, the, 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 the success of it is, is debatable of Trial of a Time Lord Parts 13 and 14. But even there, even 
although it wasn't as successful as part three of The Deadly Assassin, it still at least has a through route. You can see where they're going with it, although there's weird stuff that doesn't quite... It's a dream landscape. It has some sort of internal sense to it that this story didn't... He didn't... Chibnall didn't even try to give it any sort of internal logic or any internal sense. It was just an excuse to have 50 minutes of weird stuff, none of which made sense. And he thought... I I think it... I would disagree. I think it had internal logic and sense. I just think it was very boring. Like I can tell you the story. The story once you get past all like the the the, the way they do it, the story is pretty dull, right? Yeah, I yeah, I, under, I understood it. I I've heard a lot of people saying, "Oh, this is you know nobody understood this. It's impenetrable and it's uh, really really confusing." It is confusing, but I did understand it, and I think I think everything that you need is there to understand it. But the problem is. Why it's close to impenetrable is because you have really got to want to understand it and and to be patient, not necessarily and with it because it's not there's nothing particularly enigmatic about it. It's just so it's just really quite badly made, and there are no there are no emotional anchors for you to sort of. And so and so to. maybe. And so maybe that's the problem for me personally, because, no, I didn't... Well, I kind of vaguely understood it in a weird Doctor Who-y, timey-wimey kind of way. I kind of could see what it was sort of saying. But maybe you're right, Dan, in that I had lost the will to try to understand it because I just got so angry that I could see he was going to do this for an entire 50 minutes. And he clearly wasn't going to explain, really, the, the cliffhanger to episode well, two. Something else than- as well. As well, Simon, something else that we get with Jim, we've had this since certainly since it takes you away, and maybe even before, it's passing off the absurd as the profound. Yes, that's really <laughs> that. We've had that's, we've that's had really this. So right, yes, that's a, so that's such an accurate way of saying it. Yes. It really is. That's, that's, that's how he wrongfoots exactly people. So you've got people out there who are receiving it. You know, I, I would say this: there are five or six people on Twitter who really love this series, and episodes like this. They they, they um, play to that side to them who, that when they sit there on a Sunday going oh yeah you know I'm finding this really stimulating and all that because they're being they're being sort of um, how can I put this they feel they're being vindicated by something that you know it, it, it is really profound but they're just falling for it it's the emperor's new clothes there is yeah. it, it is it, it makes is just stupid people feel intelligent. Right, it, it makes it does bother blood. it makes stupid so. people feel it's intelligent. No if anybody else watching or listening. I'm sorry. And again, and again, this saying, is where I, I don't it, say that. To, I don't say that to offend anybody who is listening or watching. You know, I I do get it, but this is how I receive it. This that's what I notice about this story, about Chris Chibnall's own playbook, not just as a writer, but as the showrunner of a of a mainstream sci-fi TV show. But but the problem is, however much you, 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 and you're spot on there, Dan, absolutely spot on, but however much you might, you boys might argue that, yeah, there isn't kind of internal logic and you get the story and you see where they're going with it. Okay, that's fine, but that's still, I still claim that all of that could have been told in a couple of minutes as the yeah. pre-title. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's got, no because all he it. does, it's, got no, it's got no worth. No, no, and so basically all he does is he spends 50 minutes with this thin story of a, this kind of explanation of how we get out of the, the the cliffhanger from episode two. And so all we do is we spend 50 minutes getting from A to B, but we go via C, D, E, F, G, H all the way through just to get there by throwing in these 
as you say, Dan, these abstract, these absurd concepts, none of which are interesting. And that's the difference again to me with something like The Deadly Assassin Part 3. Everything that happens in Deadly Assassin Part 3 is interesting, engaging, exciting, and you want to see what happens. The weird, abstract, absurd stuff that happens in this episode it's just boring. It's dull. I don't it care about any of this. And you think how little story there was also in chapter one? There was yes. hardly any story to that at all. Absolutely. So that's the fact we've got six episodes, and two of them are next to completely story free. Yeah. And well, the well is- this episode had, like, I think, from Chibble's point of view, I think it has, for him, it has vital plot points in it. Like, he introduces Belle, who um, looks like is going to be the mother of the timeless child to me. Like when they, when you do a pregnant reveal, and there's it's all about a child. Oh, that's about and the Vinder's the father, so Captain Jack. So Bell and Captain Jack are probably the parents of, of of the Doctor or the Timeless Child or whatever nonsense you want to call it. But like, so that's the important thing. You got a little bit of backstory that Zazur and Swarm with the uh, the Doctor who knows more, and you got Vinder's backstory, right? So for him, it had like some real important plot points in it. But it was just, yeah, it was just nonsense putting it, putting it all together. And these Daleks look wrong. I don't know what it is. These Daleks well, look wrong. You exactly what, oh, go on, you go, Simon. I'll, no, I'll you see go for it, Dan, because I'm sure you and I both agree on it. I think the reason why they look off is simply because they're the very first sort of completely CGI Daleks that we've had. Yes. That's exactly it. They're CGI they dogs and they looked so CGI. They looked so obviously CGI. It was so obvious that they got this scene that they kind of said, oh, there's clearly no point in trundling three Daleks out there. So it's, it's going to cost too much to put three take throughs like, for a couple of shots. So yeah, let's CGI them in. Oh, I tell you what. Put some smoke CGI over the top and it. blur them a little as if because they're moving. Put some smoke yeah. around so people may not notice that, that we. it's a real also, half-assed job. Yeah, and also because we're going to CGI them in, you know what we can do? We can have them float as well. So that's brilliant. We've got a double whammy, and it's just like, no, because Daleks don't generally trundle around floating unless they've got a reason to do it. So there's no logic to make them float other than the fact that you're not taking the props out. You're going to do the CGI, and so you can make them float if you want to. So everything about them looks wrong. You're right, Svee. It, it you, you think of the fan artists out there, Rabbi, who we know can create yeah. Daleks and put them into environments like this, probably in an afternoon, and make them look better. Lee, Lee Sullivan could have done it better. Well, well, and also, I mean, when you look at them, in that, in that shot that we look in that area, if you are going to CGI Daleks in, you might as well make them look interesting and good. But again, it's poor direction. We're going to... We're going to CGI three Daleks in. Oh, just stick them in a line and just have them wander through the back of a shot. Why would you do that? You're going to CGI them in. At least make them look interesting rather than as they look in that <laughs> shot, which is just boring. Again, yeah. everything about this episode. Well, was the, 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 the direction of this episode was markedly uh, weaker than the the, the, the other guys. It's, been, 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 it, it's his first job. I mean, like it's the guy's first job. But you don't give it to him. Yeah, no, they picked him because he's not a white male, right? That's basically that's the only thing they care about, right? Uh, it's like he's not a white it, yeah. male, and so we, I feel like it's what some people would tag as a diversity hire. I think that's yeah. becoming. I mean, oh, we've, okay, we've only seen one of his three installments. He may rally. Maybe this is I, just I, this I, was just a bad afternoon for him. I don't know. Bad well, day at work. Well, I do wonder, Dan, if we, if we should cut him some slack simply because can you imagine as a first time director on Doctor Who, you get 
that script to work with. I mean, his heart must have sunk. I, I would have imagined he would have killed for War of the Sontarans instead of this pile of rubbish. I still wonder what they all must have made of this episode. When the script landed on there <laughs> and they started to read through, they either panicked or they... I, I, I seriously think what probably happened when they did the read-through and when they were first reading it, I think they probably all just giggled like school kids because they were just like, oh, this in this scene, the doctor's the police officer. Oh, in this one, Yaz is, is, is yeah. um, Vinda superior. Oh, in this one... And it's just like they would have just killed themselves yeah, laughing. I, 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 don't think they, I don't think they understand it generally. So no, they're they not don't. understanding so it doesn't really they don't understand so when it meets when it's supposed to be understable, so they, oh. there's like, oh, you know, business no. normal. By the way, you were saying that things being unintelligible not making sense. The thing that was unintelligible and didn't make sense was what they call it again, the the, the, the moray? Like that we've never uh, heard yeah, of before. And uh, you, you had a picture of them up just now. Uh, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's that's these, yeah. these creatures. <laughs> this scene reminded me of a scene. In fact, a lot of the episodes of a scene from the old uh, 1970s show, Monkey, just without all oh, the yeah. fun of watching people... <laughs> oh, watching don't people get, Monkey. I like Monkey. <laughs> without all the fun of watching people getting twatted in the head with very big staffs. Yeah. And it's, in- and it's interesting, you know, Dan, because literally that picture that we're looking at now, we saw so many shots like this of the Doctor floating in front of these gods. And it's almost like, again... I- it's poor direction because it's almost like the director just wanted to make Jodie Whittaker look even more stupid than she looks anyway. We're just going to hang her there with her arms hanging and her feet going and it just makes her look completely and utterly ridiculous and again undermines the character. It's 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 not a good approach to take. If you're going to shoot, but, you've but, got to but, shoot but, something yeah. like that very confidently and carefully. Wait a minute, but, yeah, the, uh, the, the thing that really annoys me is they are introduced as like a weird, mysterious thing. We don't know what they are, and now suddenly the Doctor knows who they are, what's going on, and like they got like what well, it knows about the planet time. I mean, my God, what a terrible name! I'm going to call it the planet time, and then time and space are at war with each other. And like, there's so much like that. That stuff is utter bollocks. If you want to use a technical term, uh, it's like it just makes no sense whatsoever. And I don't think it's ever going to make uh, make any sense. But no. uh, uh, it may <laughs> sound halfway cool in a kind in a really sort of sub genre kind of way. But if you if you're going to try and sort of delve into that in any way and, and flesh it out in any way, you're going to be on a hide into nothing. You you, well, you cannot sell a concept like that. No, and that's why you need a really good director to carry it off, a really good, experienced director to carry it off. And the truth of it is, and again, just looking at that picture of the Doctor floating in front of the Maori or whatever they're called, uh, it's very John Ridgway comic strip from the 1980s. It's the kind of thing that the Doctor Who magazine would have done in the 1980s with this weird dreamscape, this weird landscape. And that's fine. Within a Doctor Who comic strip environment for fans reading the magazine, you you look at something like The Stars Fell on Stockbridge and what was The Tides of Time, all of those were really impenetrable. They they, they were difficult to understand. But it's okay. Because firstly, you're talking to fans, and so that's okay. And secondly, you're making a virtue out of it because you're just making these great showpiece pieces of John Ridgway art. And so that's one thing to do. But you can't do it, I feel strongly, with a license fee paying public who are paying to have this episode made and put on primetime terrestrial television between Countryfile and Strictly Come Dancing. It doesn't work. You can't. Well, let's talk a little bit about the cast of this, because you mentioned earlier on about the the cast of Once Upon Time. We've got uh, we've got several new characters that are introduced. We've got uh, Craig Parkinson from Line of Duty, who plays somebody called the Grand Serpent. Totally wasted. Thought, 
totally, like he, totally wasted. He what seemed a, like he wanted to be somewhere else the entire. I couldn't. I couldn't register who. Well, he looked disinterested. Jacob Anderson looked disinterested and disconnected from the from the material. So I don't think any of it particularly sank in with me. I hear that uh, Craig. Uh, what's his name again? What's his name? Craig Parkinson. I hear is a, a great actor in other shows. You would never have known it for this. this from can, I, can I just check, Dan? Is this the guy who was the who was Vinda's boss? Who was the baddie with the grey streak in the hair? Is that who yeah, we're talking about? Yeah. That's right. He was, yeah, he, he was sat there clasping his hands for most of for most of the episode. And, no and, idea and what all that was being about. the evil well, again, the, the problem yeah, with this character again is he just wife. appears and we're supposed to know immediately. We're supposed to have a response immediately to a character we've never met before and we're supposed to feel in debt, it's some, some sort of investment in this character as so to we either hate them or like them. or I don't know. I've never met this character. I don't care. Because we've already been pretty much proven that the whole episode is just sort of this kind of weird dreamscape thing that doesn't actually mean anything anyway. Why am I going to feel invested in a character like that? Either way, doesn't matter. Not it, that it, in, in Chibnall's mind, I think it's because it's Craig Parkinson and Craig Parkinson's a, 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 a in demand actor, so we're all going to so be people fighting. just like with John Bishop. People will recognise him, and therefore yeah. they'll be invested in that because if he's playing okay. a similar sort of slimy character, what? whatever it what? is. Then what is he in then, Dan? I've never heard of him before. He was in Line of Duty for one season. He was in Misfits for like four episodes. Uh, he's been around, like he's he's a reasonably recognised. But in general, Chibnall's his approach to marketing as well is that he believes. And I think he does believe it, that Doctor Who, under his reign, is as popular as it was under David Tennant at its absolute height. Oh, do you honestly think... He really believes... That's how, well, that's his approach he's taking. He's like, it makes sense. His, his This whole thing makes sense if he... If we're all like sitting on the edge of our seat, we can't wait to find out. I believe a version like, of that. I, I believe that he thought that all he really needed to do once he cast a woman in the role was to just keep this show on screen delivered at the agreed times the the set amount that they'd come to between themselves he just got to keep the keep the wheels turning and he couldn't and even do that, that. And he <laughs> couldn't even do that we're also introduced to the actress thadia graham who plays bell you mentioned her earlier on rabbi and yeah there um, oh, she, she was again, good she was good I, yeah actually, nice, I nice actress good. She won me over on her Instagram post or her, her Twitter post, <laughs> where she was just like very genuinely grateful. She was grateful and felt honoured. Exactly. It's, it's the same situation as Jacob Anderson. Here we have somebody yeah. who is clearly a nice person, clearly relishes the idea of being in the show, somebody who clearly has natural talent, latching onto this character only to be to be served with very, very thin material. So what they're doing is they're bringing everything they can, pouring their own personal energy onto the screen. Sadly, I, I suspect this is not going to be enough either. But it's, it's the same, exactly the same story. And I've heard these rumours out there too, that that Bell and, uh, and Vinda are going to end up being the Doctor's the Doctor's parents. And, but yeah. I've also heard the same thing about the Swarm character as well, that he's the Doctor's yeah. father. So yeah. when did Doctor Who, this wonderful old show, with that beautiful sort of soft-focused origin or mythology that sort of stretched back, that was so murky that you could only... So much of it was obscured, it left so much to the imagination. We have well, now, we've now got... We're 18 months later, we've got... We've already had one crappy origin. Now we've potentially got another. And from what I hear, we may even have another one coming before the end of the run. And again, and again, it's really, really interesting because, again, to go back to... I know we keep coming back to this, but go back to The Deadly Assassin. Again, 
that's interesting because the deadly assassin also touches on kind of origins of the doctor we we learn little tantalizing glimpses we see more of the time lord society than we've ever seen before and so but what that does dan is that feeds into the deadly assassin feeds specifically to what you're talking about there it is tantalizing it's just this murky past that we're kind of almost seeing enough to 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 be told what's happening but not so much that it spoils the fun and so it it's it's kind of a glimpse. in your mind yeah, it's almost it's almost you're, you you've got the, your hand on the curtain, but you're not drawing the curtain back. Whereas somehow with this, we're supposedly drawing the curtain back with with Once Upon Time, as well as with the Timeless Children, and we're supposed to be so invested in it. We're supposed to be so in love with this idea this that they've come up with that basically what Chimnall is saying with this, with the Timeless Child, and with these rumours that we're hearing about, if they turn out to be true. Either way, it doesn't really matter. He's still talking about origin stuff. And what he's claiming is that what he can come up with out of his fevered mind is far more interesting and exciting than what we were able to come up with with the few tantalising glimpses that we used to get fed throughout the original sort of 50-odd year uh, years of the show. And he thinks, he genuinely thinks that his idea of the timeless child that the Doctor is not a Time Lord after all, all that stuff is more interesting than anything that any of the last 50 years of Doctor Who could tell us. Or that anybody who it's may hubris. come afterwards may yeah. think of too. You know, he, he seems to view himself as the man to yes. take on this job at this particular time and give us answers to questions that we, that we, never, we never wanted. Generations of talented people have, have, have uh, held back from. I, I, I was going to say you 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 would have thought that reality just would like is you can't deny it. Like you've seen you know the metrics, you've seen the ratings. You say and this whole thing of like TV is going down and ratings are falling in general. Yes, because TV in general was garbage, right? Do you remember a few <laughs> years ago we said if you keep doing all this insane ideology, putting in everything, people are just going to switch off, and that's exactly what happened. Over yeah. half the country has switch, switched off, not just Doctor Who. Everything. YouTube's doing great. You know, Netflix is okay, but YouTube's doing great, and I, I, a new media's doing great. But like this stuff is why? Because it's just full of this, frankly bonkers ideology, which is equally uh, detached from re- re- um, uh, reality in every way. And it's and it's interesting because because I mean, last week when we when we reviewed um, episode two, War of the Sontarans, we we were all saying some favourable things about it. We were finding decent stuff to say about it. I I really did feel that I could not. I, nobody has been more vocal against Christian Wool than than me, or indeed any of us here on the panel now. Um, and I genuinely thought, thought I cannot review War of the Sontarans. I would be doing it. A disservice if I reviewed it how I've reviewed most other Christian episodes, which is it's terrible because it wasn't terrible. It had promise. It had interesting things. And so I genuinely thought, no, you're going to have to be generous with this and you've got to say where things work. And there was lots in War of the Sontarans that did work. Lots that didn't, but lots that did. So let's praise that for a minute. But... With this episode, as is clear now, after an hour of talking about this, we're struggling to find anything positive to say at all about it. And I find it so frustrating that Chris Chibnall has followed probably the best Doctor Who episode in a long time with the worst episode in 58 years. And I'm like, how can you do that? Just as you're beginning to get an inkling that you might be onto something here and finally you're writing decent 
a half decent Doctor Who. And we'll just recognisable. But it was something that was recognisable as the same show. The visual, visual signatures were there, and it made you feel a certain amount of uh, engagement with it on yes. a similar level, enough to fool you into thinking that things may have turned a corner. Yeah. But I'm interested by the fact that he couldn't sustain that for, for a single week. But I'm also interested by the character of the, the Fugitive Doctor. She's now listed as the Fugitive uh, Doctor on the end credits. Never before. Ugh. This is something I think that has sort of come from the fan base, the tag of the Fugitive Doctor. But... Ugh. Here we have, obviously, it's played by Joe Martin, originally appeared in that uh, Fugitive of the, of the Jadoon episode from, from Series 12, and then again briefly in The Timeless Children. And this character, again, I think has gone in record time, gone from a character that made an impact, whether you, whether you like her or not, whether you like the idea or not, a character that did make some sort of minor cultural impact to already looking like a tired idea and an actress yes, very quickly and an well, actress yeah, she, who's she, turning she, up just to say her lines out of some sort of obligation she doesn't seem she doesn't seem in sync with the character doesn't seem interested and it, all, all of this falls flat as well it, and it seems like old hat right away you almost wonder whether Joe Martin's already regretting actually taking the part in Fugitive of the Jadoon because she's signed she a seems, saddle with it now. I mean, she that seems expression to seems to say that she is, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not... She seems to love being associated with the show. You know, we've got this picture as well. She put out some pictures on social media, her own social media, where she's grinning like a Cheshire cat. And she's always very engaged with the fans. I think she's actually been to a couple of events now since the pandemic and the guidelines and the the restrictions have sort of lifted. So she is mixing with fans, both in the real world, world and online, and seems very, very grateful for it. But on screen, I mean, she's it, been it, given the, no the, greater material than anybody else. You know, the 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 problem I I I I I have, I was, I have with her doctor, also also with Jody, is that if I saw her out of context, I would have no idea it's supposed to be Doctor Who. No. And that's or if I saw every other doctor, yeah, Peter right. Davison. Maybe the least because he, he had what? the most like designed outfit. But I saw it just about every other actor played Doctor Who. I guess, yes, obviously they're Doctor Who, right? You know of him in an instant. That this just doesn't exude it in well, any way, shape, or form. You're right. And the problem is for the general public, again, watching this, they're not going to remember what happened in Future to the Jadoon. They're not going to have a clue. What would have made absolute sense if Chibnall insisted on going down this whole route, which just irritates the life out of me anyway. And again, it's like you've said already, Dan, we, we, we get this fugitive Dr. Plonkton as though we're going to be wildly excited. Oh, my God, the fugitive doctor is back. Nobody actually gives a, a damn. But if you were insisting on going down this route as a writer, you would have brought back somebody like uh, Tennant, or Matt Smith, because firstly, the public would have got it and they would have understood, OK, yeah, she's the doctor is seeing a former self. And yeah. secondly, they would have been interested and engaged and excited. But I'm sorry, nobody's going to be desperately excited by so seeing what you're saying is be back. Because she spent a total of, say, 10 minutes at the very, very most on screen. Exactly. Nobody feels two years ago to an ever dwindling audience because she doesn't look like the Doctor and certainly in the last couple of, of appearances she's not acted remotely like the Doctor this is no. not connecting I've, I've said before that I felt Joe Martin stood a great, much greater chance of reaching this character than Jodie Whittaker but she's not being given any good material now either so the character is, is unrecognisable now I, yeah. I agree with you completely and so all this does really it harms the, the story and I use that term very loosely, the story that Chris Chibnall is trying to sell us on 
There's also been a video this week as well, because as you said, the Independent reviewed this very, very badly. Even the Radio Times gave this a bad review, which was one paragraph of pretty much whoever wrote it, throwing their hands in the air and saying, you know, pretty much saying we may as well give up now. But such was the reception to this online too, not just in Doctor Who forums like Gallifrey Base, but over on Twitter and Facebook, people just condemning this and saying it was a, a waste of 48 minute, minutes of their lives. Yes. The very next morning, over on Twitter, John Bishop chose to uh, contact the Doctor Who community and send them a message about oh. the confusing episode. So have a oh. listen to this quick quick uh, message from John Bishop himself. Uh, just a message to all the Doctor Who fans to say thanks for the feedback about Dan. It's, uh, it's brilliant to be part of it. That's my dog, by the way. That's not Carvinista. Uh, it's brilliant to be part of it. Uh, Dan as a character seems to have gone down really well. I know the plot's all over the place and there's so many different timelines, but it all pulls together. So keep on enjoying the flux and uh, keep on enjoying the series. And from my point of view, thanks for the feedback because being part of Doctor Who is like a dream come true. Thanks a lot. Enjoy your Monday. See, I just like, I just like him. I mean, I feel so good. I mean, he makes me feel good about him being in the show, and then he's in the show, and it's just awful. I've he got, is I mean, terrible. Like, he can't act. That's the problem. He cannot act. act. It's, 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 he really it's, can't. He really can't. But like, yeah, he, yeah, with the with the best, with the best. Uh, and he, and he clearly he clearly has only seen one small part of uh, of the reviews of his character because there's a heck of a lot of people out there who are saying terrible terrible things about it. So either it's being filtered or he's only choosing to look at half of it. Um, but 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 it, it, it just seems strange that I mean I can't wait to see how all this comes together. He's promising us that it's all going to make sense and come together. I'm waiting for it, John. John Bishop is smiling, but I'm not out. particularly convinced. If if, no, if, it, if it, it doesn't come together and make sense in a way that he can understand it, because he doesn't look like somebody who can understand science fiction plots so easily, it's going to be so simplistic and boring. It's going to be unbelievable. <laughs> like, well, either that or it's just it's, it's just a mere acceptance that everybody kind of knows Doctor Who doesn't make sense. And we've been talking about this, you know, right the way through the classic days. Again, this isn't anything new. Everybody always used to say, don't understand what knows going on. This is viewers and productions crew and actors. Nobody ever really. So is it just, are we just using it as an excuse now? Oh, it's Doctor Who. It doesn't have to make sense. So when John Bishop says, don't worry, it all comes together, it makes sense. Presumably, he means in a Doctor Who kind of way. In other words, it doesn't make sense at all. But that's okay because we're all having a good time with it. And yet, back in the day, it wasn't so problematic if Doctor Who didn't make sense because actually, you look at some of the best stories that didn't make sense, and it doesn't matter because they're done with such conviction and such love, and they're just damn good rollicking tales that you cut it some slack and you don't mind that it doesn't necessarily make sense. This unfortunately needs to make sense because it's not interesting the route the route is not interesting so the destination had better be damned good to explain this boring route yeah and it's coming at a time that is absolutely crucial in the show's in the show's yeah. history i mean okay you could say there are people out there again in the fan base that are receiving this you know particularly the ratings which we're going to come to in a short while are receiving this as as if to say it doesn't matter what goes on on screen. It doesn't really matter how it's received because Doctor Who's future is assured. And I hear that. But in my view, complacency not like point, that yeah. cannot... We cannot let that be a strategy. We, no. <laughs> we cannot let and, and, stuff like this, crap like this, get past no. us as a fan base and let the, and leave, let the BBC be 
in any terms receiving the idea that this is good enough because for license fee payers or just from people who who want to be engaged by a bit of storytelling that's right that's right because because again if you're going to take that approach again all you're doing all the production team is doing with doc 2e is treading water and that's why i use this term really really specifically because that's what episode three felt like it felt like treading water between a damn well the best doctor episode we've had in a while and and the episode four whatever that turns out to be it's just treading water and that as you say dan is a waste of license fee payers time and money and it's not and right good, and and audience and audience goodwill i mean yes. I've, I've got a certain amount of sympathy for the the uh, the guest cast the main cast not so much no, everybody no, involved every, people no, none at all but everybody involved on the cast of this they seem to me now you know john bishop may be smiling there but during episode three once upon time they seem to me little more than crash test dummies there they're largely, they've got blank expressions on their faces. Yeah. They're strapped in. They're contractually obliged. Clearly no idea what they're either doing or saying. Sometimes no idea who they're, who they're even saying them back to or what's yeah. going on throughout this. And you've got Jodie Whittaker, who, as you've rightly said, you know, she is in a lot of this episode compared to very little of the previous ones. She's trying to bring this gravitas and to anchor it. But it's, uh, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, when you're over the park and you watch a Jack Russell trying to eat one of those big leather footballs, you know <laughs> it's, it's going to get nowhere and convince no one to the point where it's not really worth it. it's not really worth them carrying on. It just looks funnier and funnier the more they do it. The entire episode is a massive cat- catastrophe, huge I... overreach from a writer like Chris Chibnall, just based on the fact that he managed to string people along for ten weeks of Broadchurch for a year once eight years ago. Yes. And the interesting thing is, as I say, if you want to tell the kind of episode that he was telling in episode three, which is this weird, abstract, absurd thing, that's fine. But you've got to make it interesting and engaging so that people are at least sit and watch it and say, well, I haven't got a clue what's going on, but it's great fun. It's brilliant. But this was the fundamental problem. Nothing about episode three was great fun. Just wasn't. So it's boring. Well, one thing that Doctor Who fans love to do is to to speculate. And we're going to speculate... (laughs) in a little while when we come back about one aspect of this episode in particular more rumors are out there floating around and i'm wondering if you've heard them too but we're going to shoot off to a parallel dimension of our own now filled with unmissable geeky talk and amazing analysis courtesy of our friends on all the other shows across the fandom podcast network here's a few words about all of that then we'll be back with more of our review of this third episode of Doctor Who Flux. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the fandom flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie and TV pop culture topics. Good Evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, 
an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at fandompodcastnetwork and on Twitter at fanpodnetwork. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you again there, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to the tpublic.com store, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll see shelves full of the team colors for all of those shows on everything from the t-shirts to phone cases tapestries mugs seeing is believing treat yourself treat your other selves and it all goes to support the fandom podcast network into the bargain at least some things in the universe still make sense gentlemen (laughs) so i'm still here with simon and the rabbi rooted to the spot eager to uh, continue this journey through once upon time with me this time on Type 40, but we've a big question that we've avoided, and a big cast member who had uh, very little amount of screen time in Once Upon Time, but she was there nonetheless. I'm talking about the British actress Barbara Flynn, who, uh, now I'd sort of forgotten about this midweek. Barbara plays a character called, here we go again, (laughs) Orsock. Where does he... Where does Christian? Because they're all sucks. That's why. That's where it came from. Because they're all sucks. There you go. It just rolls, rolls off the tongue, everybody. <laughs> so this, this is all sock. Uh, this little old lady, cute little old lady. Now, yeah. she appeared in just one scene with Jodie Whittaker's doctor, where one minute Jodie is talking to those sort of great big sort of uh, curtain-clad alien beings, whoever they're supposed to be. So she's talking to one sort of faceless alien being outside of the universe and then gets immediately sort of uh, pushed into another sideways universe or memory or whatever to talk to another nameless nameless character who's talking utter nonsense too not confusing at all that we're but supposed to care about we're supposed to relate to this person it's great to see barbara barbara flynn in, in doctor who i've always loved her. i loved her in cracker i loved her in a very peculiar practice all those shows she's she's great yeah, uh, she, she, she was good. At least she was proficient, you know, as as an actor. Yeah, yeah, like she she could sell the scene. Well, yeah, and you were kind of left there thinking, oh, I wish she was the Doctor and not Jodie Whittaker. But anyway, oh yes, I, I oh, did feel that. It's... How many lines did she have? And she was imme- immediately commanding 
in them. Got so much charisma about her. You know, she's she, she's a great actress. Yeah, 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 yeah. But and she was scene... interesting to watch. This is the other thing. She was interesting to watch in those. She was on screen for what ninety seconds or something, and if she that. was interesting to watch. And Jodie. Yeah, that could learn a lot from that. We just you just want somebody interesting to watch. Jody can't learn anything from anyone. <laughs> <laughs> if she could, she would have done by now. But she's not dead. No. Now I immediately noticed when when uh, this went out because there's there's been uh, precious little in Doctor Who history has survived the oncoming sort of uh, destructive intergalactic interdimensional interdimensional force that is Chris Chibnall's own lack of writing ability. Just sort of eats up lawn, spits it all out to the point where you, you know you end up staring back over your shoulder and it's just in a, a, a mass pile pile of goo that doesn't even resemble the thing that it looked like 10 minutes earlier there are elements to Doctor Who lore that do exist outside of what he's managed to mangle already. One of them is the idea of uh, immortal beings that exist outside of space and time now on one hand this could be another character like Grace that Barbara Flynn's playing could be somebody in a dream or in a memory that the Doctor simply doesn't remember. But, you know, I Im immediately noticed this because I've been expecting <coughs> it for a while. And sure enough, certain unofficial websites, fan commentators have also talk talked about this character, about who she may be. And the word out there is that Barbara Flynn's character could be the White Guardian who first appeared in the Key to Time saga, as I'm sure that you guys know, and then again in 1983 in what they call the Black Guardian trilogy. So originally, this was obviously played by a male actor. I've been expecting the concept of the Black and White Guardians to return to Doctor Who at some point in the future for a number of years now, because the idea is that they are these two sort of... Uh, equal elemental forces aren't they that keep everything in the universe in check so it's the balance between yeah. good and evil it's a yeah. very simple concept yeah lots of classical literature isn't it it's a very basic idea that we see in fiction literature and religion the whole world over sort of classical ideas really and this is doctor is, who's is, is variation it versus evil or chaos versus order the black well, and white guard i think I you're it's, it's the, the latter. same isn't it it's it, it... It's black. Well, no, if it's chaos versus order, they could both be uh, uh, ambiguously. Yeah, because the, the Black both... Guardian always said that the the Doctor's evil is my good. That's what he said to Turlo, wasn't it? So yeah, your your description is probably a lot more a lot more accurate. People have latched onto this that that uh, Barbara is playing the White Guardian. I said to somebody only a few weeks ago that I expected Chris Chibnall to cast. Uh, it seems somewhat unkind now to cast a cup-priced Judy Dench as the White Guardian. <laughs> Did I, you call that? Sorry, yes. Sorry, Barbara, I do love you, but I was pretty much on the money there. And uh, I'll say this now, when the Black Guardian does appear, and I'm confident that she will, it, uh, <laughs> she'll be played by... Well, my, my choice would be Francis de la Tour, but I think that I'll go back to my default setting, which is with Chris Chibnall casting, look down the list of people who were in Broadchurch and pick the person he hasn't used yet. So I think he'll go for Charlotte Rampling. Uh, if he can no! You, you, oh, Lord. I know who... It, no, if it's a bad guy, evil people can only be white males, right? So it's probably Craig Parkinson. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, You're now right. that... Good call, Rabbi. Good You're call. You're right, it will be a male. The Black Guardian will be male, yeah. That would make sense. Okay, so we've, we've got no, we've got no confirma confirmation. This no, may this is... all be total fan speculation and fan fiction. But as you've established, Simon, this entire episode is fan fiction. Yeah. So 
do you believe that Barbara is playing the White Guardian? How likely do you think this is? Does this interest you in any way? Let me know your thoughts. No, it, it doesn't interest me in the slightest. I really don't give two stuffs. It, put it like this. If she's not the White Guardian, okay, I don't care. If she is the White Guardian, okay, I don't care. Either way, okay. it's, it's literally of no interest in me at all. I pray that she isn't the White Guardian for the simple fact that I will be so, so boilingly angry that yet again, yet again, we have a male role repurposed to now be female. So I am praying for that reason alone, it's not the White Guardian. And to be clear again, we've got to be really precise in this, I'm not against females in dramas, of course I'm not, I'm, all, I'm very, very pro having females in dramas and roles for women, of course I am, of course I am, but we should not be repurposing roles in the same way that they wouldn't bring back the Rani as a male and they wouldn't bring back Ramana as a male, and quite rightly so because the Rani is female and Ramana is female, just the same as the White Guardian is male, so can we, you know, that's, that's my one reason for praying that Barbara Flynn is not playing the White Guardian. Yeah, Rabbi, I don't think your prayer's going to be answered, mate. <laughs> Although the answer's going to be no. You're not going to get what you want. <laughs> like, who who would have thought that you would have missed the uh, uh, the silly bird heads? <laughs> the, thing is, the thing that's frustrating with all this, of course, is that Barbara Flynn would make an excellent white guardian, would have been brilliant. Had, had we, you know, had, if yeah. we're going back to 1978 and instead of Cyril Luckham, we'd had Barbara Flynn as the white guardian. Brilliant. I've got no problem with that. She'd be great. Of course she would. So, you know, we've got to be really precise here that, that, that where the problem is. The problem for me is in rewriting, again, a male role for a woman. And as we've said so many times before, no, just start creating some really good female roles and stop repurposing what were already good male roles. That's all I'm saying. The trouble is they can't write anything good because these are all talentless hacks. And you can tell they're talentless hacks because they hide behind this insane ideology. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you you had to give a disclaimer, like, of course I'm not against women. I'm, but you I'm, have to I'm, do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I have to, to can you imagine if we could if, if we could bottle all that energy that we've had to go in saying the bleed and bloody obvious that we've all known <laughs> all our bloody lives if we could collect we could power you know there'll be end of the power crisis or whatever crisis we've got <laughs> but, but it's insane yeah uh, uh, but she's probably the white guardian. <laughs> I mean, it probably is, so. It? I mean, the way I see it, what clinches it for me, even though there's nothing, there's no texture really in the story, but this is a Christian story. What do you, we're never going to get texture. We're never going to get anything that's going to really make any discernible sense. So uh, it, it's 100% what's on screen. Barbara Flynn, she's got grey hair anyway. So why dye her hair bright white? Why is she wearing the, uh, the uh, straw hat? That's synonymous with with the White Guardian as seen in the oh, Regus operation. Oh, ah, that's what that was about. Oh, well yeah, done. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, and, and the thing is that's actually frustrating is, is there's a fanish part of me that thinks, yeah, actually, I'd quite, I'd like to see the White Guardian back, and I have actually no problem with Barbara Flynn playing the role at all because she's, no. you, as we've already said, she's doing it brilliantly. So there's part of me, but unfortunately, I think I've been so, um, I've been so turned against the Chibnall era for so many reasons that there is just that part of me that just, it just rankles with. And so if this was an isolated incident of, of a repurposing of a male role, I wouldn't have a problem with it at all. Um, but because we've, we've had certainly through season 
11 and 12, we, we had agendas shoved down our throat, if you will pardon the expression, that, that you just, you now become resistant to the idea. So what might have been a good idea at the time, I, I'm just resistant to now. Um, and that's a shame because I don't want to feel like that because, uh, yeah, there's a fanish part of me that thinks, wow, yeah, it'd be great if it's the White Guardian. Of course it would. It's a great, the White Guardian is a great character, as is the Black Guardian. So bring it on. And the truth is that Chris Chibnall has left himself nowhere to go. I mean, he's destroyed Doctor Who lore. He's destroyed the Time Lords again. And so he set this emotion as well, this huge intergalactic, interdimensional thing called the flux raging across the universe doing whatever. It, it's There's nobody left, nothing left outside of that to intervene in any way apart from the Guardians themselves. Yeah. But again, it's interesting because, again, the public aren't going to give two stuff. They don't know who no. the white and black guardian exactly. are. Exactly. So, so it's purely, it's purely for the fans. It's, it, it is purely for fans. And so, yet again, we're back at fan fiction. Now, that's okay. Nobody's saying you can't do that. They brought back, for rightly or wrongly, in in, um, in the, the Turlo trilogy, they brought back the black and white guardian then. And, and many would argue it was a bad move. And arguably it possibly was a bad move because it was very much aimed at the fans and not at the public and quite rightly the public really couldn't give two stuffs but it all depends on how it's done and if it and, and how incidental or how important it is to the main thrust of the story and this is what i come back to if the story itself is really engaging and it's really cracking and it's told with with great verve and confidence by the writer by the director by the cast by the crew if you've got that and it's just a rollicking damn good adventure, to an extent it doesn't matter who you bring back or who you don't bring back. At the end of the day, that's the key to this is, are you making good television? And if you're not, then it doesn't matter who you bring back, who you kill off. It's not going to be interesting and it's not engaging. And that to me was the prime crime of episode three. None of it was interesting. None of it was engaging. So that's why I don't really care whether it's the White Guardian or not, because it won't be good. It won't be interesting. It won't be well told. It's just going to be now, boring again. As expected, there was another ratings fall for the third episode Overnight mm -hmm. ratings for Once Upon Time, mm -hmm. it was down to 3.76 million viewers. That's another drop from the previous week's 3.96 million. So it's not a, not as big a drop as the half a million before, but hey, it's still it's still a drop. The and audience are deserting this show, Simon, either chunk what? by chunk or bit by bit. And what? as you say, one. Bear in mind that War of the Santarans was reasonably strong and looked like Doctor Who. One cannot help but wonder, after this atrocity, what's it going to look like next week? Yeah, I'm, I'm predicting a, a large fall. And of course, again, to be clear, Doctor Who has always traditionally fell during the ep during the course of the season. Generally, it always goes down. So, we, you know, we, we can't claim oh, this is the only time Doctor Who has fallen no. during the season. Of course yeah. it has. Unfortunately, it's just started low, and it's going lower. It's certainly not building on its audience, that's for sure. And, and episode Well, well, well Dan, Dan if, you, if you want to share the picture I, I just put up, it's the, it's the ratings of the Jodie Whittaker era. Oh, yes. So uh, this is your, your graphic. You've been charting this, haven't you, for the last, yeah. last couple of years, and you've got some really interesting stats and predictions about what may come. So this is the uh, 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 the uh, 
the stand. You see, it got a little bump when everybody got locked in their homes and they couldn't leave and were <laughs> and it was raining out. So they, that that did well for it, and that had lots of Daleks. That 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 did well for it. So um, my prediction for uh, the uh, this episode was, uh, was it, for episode two was five five point one five. It came in a little bit under that for five point ten. Um, so I think the ratings for the consolidated ratings for uh, for tw- uh, well once upon a time once upon <laughs> time will be yeah, I, I, we're probably looking at uh, if if it if the if the bump it gets from the the uh, from the the, the seven day it gotcha. remains the same it will be four point nine I think it's probably going to lose a lot so I'm saying it's going to be between four point six four point nine. The overnights, however, I, I, I think if they get over 3.2, they should be very, very thankful. And 3.2, of course, will be the lowest overnights I think they've got. What was what was last week's episode again, overnights? 3.76. 3.76. Do we have the consoli- We've got the consolidated rating as well for War of Sontarans, haven't we now? What was that? Yeah, 5, 5.10. 5.10. Oh, that's 5.10. I see. Yeah, okay, then. <sighs> That, that 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 includes the, exactly. that's the four screen rating. The four screen is complete BS. It's, I, it's I heavily massage figures there. They they read every two minute watch on yeah. any kind of device. Right. As a as a view, don't take the four the four screen figure remotely seriously. It's fine, I suppose, if they want for their purposes for stats, looking where the future may lie, the future of broadcasting, whatever. But as regards a rating, a, a real. A real rating that's any indicator as to the popularity of the show and how it's retaining audience. It, you may as well not even bother. But I can see. And is that your is that your prediction there of three point two three as an overnight for Once Upon Time? Then is that how I? Yeah, that, 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 no, that that the 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 that's the for the last episode, right? That's just if it if the trend continues. That's what I it's see. Going to yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the consolidated rating, not the overnight. Oh, um, I see. Oh, I so, see. So yeah. If the four, if the four remains constant, that's what we're looking at. I don't think it's going to be that low, but if it is, I, 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 I will laugh. <laughs> it, will, it will make me, it will make me giggle. But uh... the thing that's quite terrifying is if you are right with that three point two three as a, as an estimate for a consolidated rating for episode three, that means that that that, that the uh, sorry for episode four. I apologise for episode no, four. six. Six episode six. Oh, is this episode six we're looking at? Okay, one. Three point two three is six. Uh, six three point six three is five. Uh, Four point oh eight. I see. That's where we're going to end up at, basically. I mean, I I really think that we will lose at least half a million for episode four um, at minimum because I just think people will turn off in droves. I'm tem- I'm almost tempted to think it might well, even go res- below three million. The reception, the negative reception to Once Upon Time was audibly large. You know, yes. and for a show with you know, that's audience has dwindled to this extent, whose cultural impact has lessened to to such a degree, the fact that the dissatisfaction was heard the way it was wafting from the <laughs> from the general public and from the, the press and the fan press, that would seem to me to indicate that we're about to that's the iceberg we can see out of out of the window of the Titanic about to hit one thing that's been very difficult to locate the last couple of weeks have been the BBC America ratings. Almost mm. as if they've, they're so low, they've stopped compiling them at all. <laughs> no, we, we you, just need, you just need to take your socks off to use your toes. <laughs> <laughs> but we have got the figures here. 
so yeah, the first the first week it was it had been down noticeably again to zero point three three nine million. We got the figure here for week two, War of the Santarans as well, which hadn't been published when we recorded the last show. That was that recorded a zero point three zero five figure. I mean, this is a tiny percentage of the figure that it was getting under Peter Capaldi, oh, yeah. let alone oh, yeah. under Matt Smith. But week three, there was a slight increase, believe it or not, for uh, for once upon I, a time. I am convinced quality affects the ratings. I am absolutely convinced about that. So you say it, they it, saw it, War it, of the Santarans. The ratings won't, won't, won't be as terrible. It certainly looks like that's what's happened here because they did go up again to 0. 0.337. Stop being kidding. It went up to 0. 0.337 out of a country of 60 million people. <laughs> that <laughs> is shocking. Even more shocking, even more telling was the AAI figure here in the UK. Now, we spoke about this We spoke about this last time on the show. The Audience Appreciation Index figure is the measure of how much the audience simply enjoyed the show. So it's a score out of 100 compiled by a specially selected panel of around 5,000 people who go online to a secure location, leave their comment, and leave their score. These figures have been compiled. They've been compiled for several years, for decades, in fact, but decades. only in this way since the new series of Doctor Who. So the figures that we have that stretch back through the classic show are not compatible with new series figures. That's why we only talk in terms of the new series figures. And Once Upon Time did record the lowest audience appreciation figure for Doctor Who. In this current way of assembling the figures, it recorded the lowest one ever of 75. Who would have thought it? Staggering, isn't it? Oh, I would. I think 75, they're doing good. Exactly, of course. (laughs) And so basically, everything that we've been saying in this show is basically echoed by what's happening out with the general public. They're taking exactly the same approach. This isn't us, as we are often accused of just being grumpy grumpy old dinosaurs knocking the modern show. The the general public, as you said earlier, Dan, the general public have fallen out of love with it. It's very, very clear. They don't like it anymore. What can you say? So for whilst I'm sure there are, there are people out there who may be saying, but what about this? But what about that? I'm afraid that all earlier figures are incompatible. This mm-hmm. figure, as recorded for Once Upon Time, is the lowest recording recorded audience appreciation index figure in Doctor Who history. Now, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised at all. Obviously, we know we're Doctor Who fans. I don't like seeing the show dragged through the mud like this. I don't like seeing these indignities getting clocked one by one by one, but it is a reality. And yeah, okay, Bad Wolf and Russell T. Davis, that is happening. But these images, these stats, this taste that we're being left with in our mouths, it's going to sit for the best part of two years. I think you've got a couple of specials between now and then. You know, it's all over already. So, the, so those specials are neither here nor there, really. This is, this is Doctor Who, as we have known it, since 2005. This is this era, this production, playing out and dying on its feet, on its knees. Yeah, and the thing is, you see, we're, we're, we're sitting here for an hour and a half uh, sort of uh, analysing this. The general public doesn't do this. They, do, they don't care. They just either tune in and they like something or they tune out if they don't like it. So it, 
it doesn't there's no they, they can't justify it in any way they're either going to lo- enjoy it and watch it or they're not they're not as they're not critical in the way that we are being critical and we're analyzing every time you shy off the show and that's a problem because you, you, you as a result because because the, the the general public is simply less discerning than us from a point of view of the minutiae of whether it follows doctor who law etc etc and is it the white god they don't care about any of that they just want to know whether they're enjoying the show or not and so if they're not enjoying it and they're clearly not enjoying it they're just going to it's going to fall below their radar they're not bothered as you said just said dan we don't want to see it being dragged through the mud we don't want to see it failing like this the general public don't care whether it's dragged through the mud or it fails they just either enjoy it or they don't they're 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 far more ambivalent than we as fans are and that's to say that's bad because they just it's going to fall out of their sphere of influence, they don't care anymore, and it will fall just as it did, just as it did towards the end of the of the original classic run under JNT. For better or worse, it didn't resonate with the public, and they just stopped caring about it. They're not bothered about it anymore, whether it's on or not. I think I think history has repeated yeah. itself in an accelerated way, and you're yes. right. The public, the general public, is all out of f's to give about this. Yeah, they're indifferent. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know, I think about I think about what I witnessed last Sunday, and you know, we talked a little bit about the plot, but it doesn't seem really worth going into because Chris Chibnall doesn't bother. Why the hell should I? I'm certainly not gonna not gonna rewatch this. I think I'd rather rewatch my uh, my wife give birth to my twins for 45 to 50 minutes and that was agonizing and that was totally gross i'd rather I, rewatch uh, that i, 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 I would I, I would say i'd rather watch this quite frankly it's, uh, no, <laughs> no, no offense to any family members but uh, yeah especially if you're going to be down the business end <laughs> oh, yeah, i've got a front row seat but yeah so let's look back at once upon a time and i'm afraid the time has come chris if you are listening if you're watching how many multiple versions of yaz do you score this one at five rabbi Oh, blimey. I mean, it's tough because it was awful. But again, Orphan 55, uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Was I, that was like, my lowest moment in Doctor Whoever. Um, by, and I can't believe I was upset by that point. But um, so let's say that's a minus 6 million and 72, right? So let's make this a zero. <laughs> Give it a nice round zero. I, I, am simply, I am simply not going to give it a score because it doesn't deserve a score. It doesn't even deserve a zero. It deserves nothing at all. I, I wouldn't even waste my brain cells trying to think of a score because it doesn't deserve one. No score. You know what? I, I have to say that uh, I'm with you both. I can't bring myself to even give this a one. But it was absolutely abysmal. And the latest of several low points in the show's uh, in the show's history. Mm-hmm. It's I don't really see it? how it can get much worse. But oh, hold my beard! <laughs> it's interesting. Although it, four it, is, is widely uh, uh, tipped to be, be be the best of uh, of this of this season. Mm-hmm. The trick is minimizing Jody, minimizing Jody, basically minimizing Jody, and just like doing stuff so you don't notice how bad it is. And the thing that's interesting there is that we, something that we haven't talked about is, is the fact that in episode, sorry, in series eleven and series twelve, Chibnall steadfastly refused to bring back 
returning foes, returning monsters. Yeah. And yet, yeah. in Flux, in three episodes, he has literally thrown every possible returning monster he can, every returning foe, the White Guardian as well, if we're correct on the White Guardian. He's just thrown everything at it. And and is this is this just sheer desperation on his part of thinking... Yes, oh it's, it's sheer desperation and nothing, terror. Nothing, it's exactly nothing what it is. No, or has the BBC said to him, for goodness sakes, just throw some old monsters at it? I don't know, it's just interesting to know what would be going on behind the scene. Either way, it's very marked that everything has been thrown at these three episodes. Everything. Simon, you used the expression earlier, and I think it, it's as true for this particular episode as it is for certainly Series 13 and, and maybe the entire era, I don't know, after he cast a female treading water. I mm -hmm. think that's... That's exactly well, that, what's that, going that, on. That's what this whole the whole property is doing right now. They're mm -hmm. trying to make. They're hoping it won't be damaged well, anymore before Rusty Day becomes. They're literally By hoping way, it won't We've seen lots and lots of these publicity stills of all these like very colourful strands intermingling. Yeah. We're halfway through. We haven't even seen anything vaguely like this. For God's <laughs> sake! I mean, it's we funny should you have should like some weird connection. No, on the first edition of these shows of these review shows. I got Charlotte and Kyle, and we were talking about that. And I put it out there that maybe these ribbons are, are meant to represent the rags from the Ghost Monument, those sort of grey rags that were inside the Doctor's mind. If you remember when this whole stupid arc started, and that they're going to reappear towards, if not the end of Flux, then maybe in the uh, in the special that w that winds it all down. And they said that I was trying to apply logic and reason and artistic. <laughs> and artistic they're making shape. a good point. They're making a good point. Um, <laughs> to Chris Chibnall's work, and that was a major folly on my part. So I just took the rap on the old knuckles and uh, chose not to mention it again. Well, but that's uh, the only uh, thing that I've got, Rabbi. The truth of it is, it looks far more interesting than the actual third episode. Oh, that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know, it does. I'd rather, I want to watch that as opposed to episode three again. <laughs> well, Doctor Who does continue on BBC One in the UK, on BBC One in America, for the very few people out there that are still watching for the next couple of weeks, and we'll be here for with both of the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see who else I can pull in to help me through Chris Chibnall's opus of oblivion here on Type 40. <laughs> Doctor Who Flux, such as it is, is released on Blu-ray, believe it or not. not Blu-ray really? and DVD. That's Lovely. out on the 22nd of January 2022, everybody. That's going to be 37.99 on Steelbook and Blu-ray and 17.99 on the standard Blu-ray for the people out there, for the completists who can't wait to get Flux on your shelves. There are no, there's no account of taste, is there? <laughs> and I thought I was bad. Yeah, but that is the old girl starting <laughs> up and calling time on this trip in our TARDIS. I'll be back with another Type 40. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home for Type 40, type40.podbean.com or over on Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbay, all the other various places that we've been popping up this year. Every time I think I've got them all clocked, there's another one. <laughs> Maybe you saw us over on the Fandom Podcast Network's Master Feed. We're still there too, of course we are. Or on YouTube, on the Facebook YouTube channel. And we're there with video versions of every podcast, unedited and Raw. If you'd like to get in touch with us and have your say, there's our social media, Instagram and Twitter at Type40DoctorWho, or you can email us, Type40DoctorWho at gmail.com. 
And if you're feeling really brave, there's always the opportunity to take a real-time trip in the Type 40 for everyday extra-dimensional chit-chat in the Type 40 Facebook group. Simon, where can people get in touch with you on social media? They can come and find me on, on Facebook, although, to be honest, I'm kind of getting to the temptation where I might just come off Facebook because I've had so many brickbats thrown at me for daring to say that the episode three was the worst in 58 years. So I'm, I'm not sure how long it's I'll be on Facebook. It's always the case. The worse the show gets and the more we point it out, there are always people out there who spit the dummy the farthest. Exactly. I don't understand why people are upset by, by, by after yeah. anybody not liking it or it not being popular, right? Doctor Who was not popular when I loved it in the 80s. I think Smith McCoy is exactly the some of the best yeah. stories I've seen. Yeah. Very unpopular. Very, yeah. And I was like, in school, it wasn't the way to get the ladies to show you the Doctor <laughs> Who magazine. Not, mate. Uh, it, not. It, it, was, it wasn't very... It didn't do the, but like, what's <laughs> their bloody problem? You know, I'm glad you like it. God bless you, you yeah, like it, okay? Exactly. I, I think it's garbage. What do you want out of me? It's like, <laughs> I'm sorry it's, it's, a, you know, it's an intolerable uh, point of view for you. Hunatics on uh, on Facebook. Yes, and, uh, yes, the Hunatics on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, for how long I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi, what's going on on your YouTube channel at the moment? What you got coming up in oh, the next couple of weeks? Well, uh, join me on Sundays at eight o'clock UK time, where I do a full recap of the episode. I watch it so you don't have to. Right, okay, right. I <laughs> go over the whole thing. Right, it's agony. Oh. We go, we go, we go over the 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 ratings and. Uh, uh, you yeah, know, we do, do pretty much a deep dive. So that's on Sundays and Mondays. And then during the week, I'm normally screaming at the camera uh, about whatever whatever outrage is going on at the time. <laughs> Live streams on Tuesdays, Thursdays, or well, Sundays now, and Saturdays. Come on by. Uh, a fun time. Well, you know that you're my you're my favourite YouTuber, and in my opinion, the content that you that you put out is the most consistent, the most entertaining, the most creative, and certainly the loudest Doctor Who content on well, YouTube. I can't argue. I can't argue with the man when he's right, can I? <laughs> Head over to the Rabbi from Another Planet's YouTube channel. Don't miss any of that. You can find me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram as the Spacebook, where I am uh, wheezing and groaning, at sharing and posting about. All things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. And looking forward to a geeky Christmas in the next... Somebody's just told me yesterday, it's like five weeks until Christmas as of recording. I can't quite believe it. I'm nowhere near prepared. So I'm going to be trying to get myself into the Christmas spirit there by posting pictures of Raymond Briggs and Only Fools and Horses Christmas specials and all those kind of things. So look out for that on Twitter and Instagram. But that's it this time. My thanks to you for listening. We always have the time. If you have the space here at Type 40, take care. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.
Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, is a space book production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.